Welcome to episode 206. I'm Stuart McCullough. I'm the CEO of VHAA. Joining me today for our discussion is the Manager of Workplace Relations Services, Tim Nagel. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Stuart. Good to be here as always. Uh, Tim, you know the drill by now. We're going to show a clue, and today we've got a clue in a couple of parts, um, and they're visual clues. So here's clue number one. All right, Tim, uh, would you just describe what, you, uh, what you've just experienced there, clue number one, for the benefit of those people who may be listening rather than watching to this podcast? It's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's like a spacey, trippy visual music effect. Okay, so we're, we're dealing with warped senses of reality, and a little bit psychedelic. Uh, that takes us to our second clip. It's a time machine, Napoleon. We bought it online. You're right. It works, Napoleon. You don't even know. Have you guys tried it yet? So, Tim, once again, uh, for the benefit of those people who are uh, who are listening to this podcast rather than watching, could you describe the clue? So it's a, it's about um, some um, some people looking at a time machine, and uh, and uh, you know, obviously implying that they're going to do some sort of time travel. All right, Tim, so we've got two components. We've got sort of a very sort of bent uh, and uh, distorted sense of reality, but we've also got time travel. And based on those clues, what would you say that the subject for today's discussion is? Um, I, I think it's probably, um, uh, I think we're probably doing a split uh, implementation session today as well. So I think one of them is uh, travel allowance. And I think the other one is potentially the fitness for work and maybe the effects of, um, of, of intoxication. Okay, well, look, I, I, that's a very good guess, uh, particularly like the uh, travel allowance. Um, I never had thought of it as a time travel allowance as such. So for any employee who accidentally uh, teleports themselves back to 1955, they will be entitled to an allowance. Um, good to know, but Tim, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, we've got uh, a slightly sort of uh, challenging or complex sense of reality. We've also got time travel. Uh, that brings us to today's discussion, long service leave, which is one of the more complex provisions which we'll be uh, unpacking in greater detail today. Uh, but just before we do, we'll check back in with, uh, with Napoleon Dynamite. Indeed, that footage is an accurate representation as to how these clauses were drafted. Um, but members will be pleased to hear that during the nurses and midwives bargaining process that the parties spent a lot of time reviewing and revising the existing long service leave provisions with a view to making it uh, easier to administer uh, and to understand. Yes, yes, that's correct. It's still, it is still complex, but the parties have tr tried to make it clearer for members. Uh, but in addition to making it clearer, there is the issue of, of some changes to entitlements as well. Yeah, there are. Um, these largely concern when long service leave can be accessed and what counts for service. Uh, but there are other changes where the pays have sought to fill in the gaps. So just on that issue of filling in the gaps, a classic example uh, would be in terms of casual ends uh, and what breaks service for a casual end. Exactly. The new term now answers that question. 
So Tim, let's uh, let's get to the changes. Uh, what's changed? The first thing that people will see is that the clause has been restructured into four parts. The obvious question there is those four parts are what? Uh, so part one, our clauses 70.1 to 70.2, explains the scope of this of the clause and includes defined terms across each of the parts. All right, so part one deals with the scope and definitions. Correct. Uh, part two, as you can see on the screen there, uh, clauses 70.3 to 70.11, and these set out the long service leave entitlements of employees employed on a full-time or part-time basis or who are employed as enrolled nurses at the time they have they take a period of long service leave or their employment ceases. Okay, just to let's translate that one. Uh, in other words, part two contains details that apply to everyone except for casual RNs and casual midwives. That's part two. Part two does a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, so that group can also be referred to as a ward and title employees, which is a term that is also defined in the clause. Uh, it feels like a trick statement, uh, so it's defined at part one because that's where the definitions are, I take it. Um, so if part two covers everyone except casual RNs and casual midwives, uh, the right obvious question is, who does part three cover? Oh, I find my, I, I, my sense is the answer was in the question. So uh, part three, which is clauses 70.12 to 70.19, sets out the long service leave entitlements of employees employed as casual registered nurses or casual registered midwives at the time they take a period of long service leave or their employment ceases. So Tim, I'm hearing you um, state there uh, at the time they take a period of long service leave or their employment ceases. And that phrase comes up a couple of times. Uh, and I think that brings us to key tip number one. Yes, so tip one is when determining employees entitlements, consider the mode of employment at the time either the employee takes long service leave or employment ceases. That will determine whether part two or part three applies. Tim, what does part four cover? Part four uh, involves clauses or subclauses 70.20 to 70.25, and these contain a series of common provisions that apply to, in respect of all those employees. So let's do a quick recap. Nurses and midwives don't all have the same long service leave entitlement, and they essentially fall into two categories. Um, part two covers most employees, that is, it covers everyone other than casual RNs and casual midwives. And that's right, and part three covers those casual RNs and midwives. So there are two distinct camps, two distinct categories of employees. Members will likely ask the question, why are there two categories of employees? So those under part two are award entitled employees, which we spoke about before. The Fair Work Act provides that those who would have had an award derived long service leave entitlement under a pre-bond award continue to have that entitlement. So those rules are preserved under the Fair Work Act? Uh, correct. Those in part three, that is casual RNs and midwives, don't have a preserved award entitlement and their minimum standards prescribed with the Victorian Long Service Leave Act. Uh, again, we're talking about legislation rather than the effect of bargaining. So um, because of the uh, effect of the Fair Work Act and the Long Service Leave Act, we have categories in mind. We have those two different categories. And uh, that's quite a bit to absorb. So just on that, so that hasn't really changed. There's always been two categories in the agreement, uh, in the agreement since 2016. 
What's changed in this agreement is just the way that it's presented and the way that it's structured. So we've got four parts. Let's go through those four parts in greater detail. So part one contains definitions that apply throughout the clause. Uh, the previous clause, clause had definitions as well. Tim, what's changed? Most, most definitions are exactly the same. So definitions for institution, statutory body, long service lead act, service and transfer of business are unchanged. So those definitions, they're all the same. They're just located up at part one. What's different? So you can see on the screen now the definition of pay. Mm. Um, so the first part hasn't changed. That's exactly as previously uh, was the case. But what has been included is pay for casual enrolled nurses. So it's explicit in the agreement now how those individuals are paid. It's the second component where the amendment has been made. This amendment is designed to make the pay calculation for an enrolled nurse, a casual enrolled nurse, absolutely clear. So that's an example of a gap that was identified by members as something that the agreement didn't explain, has now been clarified. Correct. Any other change? Yeah, it has to do with setting up the application of part two and part three and is as follows. So uh, it's really to do with that splitting between section two and section three. So it sets up the definition of a ward and title employee, meaning a full-time or part-time registered nurse, a full-time or part-time registered midwife, or a full-time, part-time, or casual enrolled nurse. These are the people we described as part two people. They are part two people. Uh, so the other significant change in the definition sections is describing part three people. So these are casual registered nurse or casual registered midwife, means a registered nurse or a registered midwife employed on a casual basis in accordance with clause 19 casual employment. That seems somewhat inevitable. Uh, but it does take us back to tip number one, that the mode of employment at the time of leave or termination is an important consideration. These definitions are necessary as they reflect to whom part two and part three applies. Tim, on that note, does it take us to part two? Correct. So, uh, as you can see on screen there, part two, employees employed on a full-time or part-time basis or who are employed as written enrolled nurses at the time they take a period of long service leave or their employment ceases. That is everyone except casual RNs and casual midwives. All right, well, it's time to get a little bit mathematical. Everyone knows the basic rules for long service leave, that is six months leave at 15 years, pro rata after 10 years, and that service can be taken from one health service or community health service uh, to another. Uh, that's correct. There are some nuances, but that's in a broad brush strokes correct. So let's get to the changes, um, starting with how much service an employee needs in order to be able to take long service leave. Yeah, so this is uh, one of the bigger changes in the clause. So people will be able to access long service leave earlier, and those earlier dates will be phased in over a period of time. So let's get that up on screen. It's 10 years, uh, as at the date on which the agreement is approved by the Fair Work Commission, and that will gradually change over the life of the agreement. So from uh, from July 1st of July 2021, it's it became nine years, so that's already occurred. Uh, from the 1st of July 22, it will be eight years. And finally, from July the 1st, 2023, it will be seven years. Uh, so let's uh, deal with the elephant in the room. People will note that there's a tension between the entitlement at 10 years upon approval by the commission, uh, which is yet to happen and being able to access it nine years from 1 July 2021. 
Yeah, so our our interest in um, staging that was to ensure that uh, the operational considerations were going to be uh, noted so that we didn't have a rush of people taking leave at the start of the change to the entitlement. So what the 1st of July 21 date gives us is the avoiding that rush. If we were going to put it off until the agreement was implemented, then our concern would be that there would be that rush at that time. And members will recall that the Department of Health authorised the implementation of the agreement by way of administrative action earlier this year. Um, so it does mean that notwithstanding that tension that was on screen, that the access point currently is nine years, uh, with it moving to seven years over the term of the agreement. Tim, I guess in practical terms, it would be difficult to provide earlier access to long service leave retrospectively. <laughs> Correct. The other key area of change concerns the calculation of continuous service. That's right, starting with continuous casual employment, which applies to ENs, the agreement sets out when service is taken to be continuous. Once again, because previously the answer to that particular question was unknown. Correct. So you can see on screen uh, the provisions that have been inserted. So continuous casual employment means for the purpose of clause 70.5b, a period or periods of casual employment with the same employer that are taken to be continuous because one of the following applies. Uh, firstly, uh, the period starting at the end of a particular instance of employment and ending at the start of another particular instance of employment did not exceed either the allowable period of absence or 12 weeks, whichever is greater. Uh, secondly, the employee had been employed by an employer on a regular and systematic basis, and the employee had a reasonable ex expectation of being re-engaged by the same employer. Uh, thirdly, the gap between engagements was due to the terms of the engagement of the casual employee. Uh, the second last one there on screen is the gap between engagements was caused by seasonal factors. Or finally, the employee and employer agreed before the start of an absence to treat the employment as continuous despite that absence. So Tim, there are a lot of rules there, but I think the critical point is that those rules reflect those of the Long Service Leave Act. They do, which goes to one of our four, uh, our key themes, which is alignment where alignment is possible. And Tim, that takes us to the critical question of what counts for service and some key changes that again, align the agreement with the provisions of the Long Service Leave Act. Yeah, so that's correct. So all the old rules that people know and love are there, say for the following changes at 70.4b, 70, 70 uh, which is on an, on and from the 1st of July 2020, any period of unpaid leave taken on account of illness or injury, a period of parental leave, including parental leave that is extended under clause 68.12, and finally the first 52 weeks of any other type of unpaid leave, not specifically referenced in this subclause. So in terms of those changes as to what counts for service, um, there are a few of them there, but I suspect that the one that, that will affect the greatest number of people um, concerns long, uh, parental leave. Yeah, so previously the clock stopped when people took parental leave. So now the clock continues to tick over and that service counts for the purpose of long service leave. Correct. I said members should take note of the date though, being the 1st of July 2020. Not the first pay period, uh, but the 1st of July 2020. Correct. It's likely that many members will have completed this task as part of the implementation, but because the authorization to implement by administrative action occurred 
after the 1st of July 2020, it will be necessary to make some adjustments to service for those who are on a period of unpaid leave due to illness or injury, parental leave or any other of the unpaid leave types any time between the period of 1st of July 2020 and the implementation of the agreement. So there is just one other issue that I do want to raise in terms of those who may have been on parental leave any time between the 1st of November 2018 and 1 July 2020. Yeah, so, so there is a, an issue there. The Long Service Leave Act was amended, including in terms of counting parental leave for service from the 1st of November 2018. So that change affects obviously those in, in part three of the clause, casual hirings and casual midwives. Uh, correct. The new clause has a transitional provision at 70.11 of the agreement that allows someone who was on parental leave any time between the 1st of November 2018 and the 1st of July 2020 to apply to have that service recognised. So that picks up our other people um, who are in part two. Uh, Tim, when can they do that? Yeah, so there is some parameters around that. So no later than six, mates following, six months following the later of one of the two. Either one, the date on which the agreement commences, or secondly, the date on which the employee returns to work after the qualifying period, period unpaid parental leave. So given that the agreement is yet to commence, that's something that can still occur. That is, uh, an employer may receive a request from an employee to recognise a service of parental leave within that pocket because the agreement's yet to be approved. So our second uh, key tip is with respect to parental leave, remember there is a transitional provision for those who took parental leave any time between the 1st of November 2018 and 1st of July 2020. Uh, Tim, just uh, one more thing on parental leave. There is a provision that's worth focusing on at 70.5C Roman numeral 7. Uh, it's a long-standing provision and members might wonder what is it still doing there in this new and improved clause? Yeah, so let's get that up on screen. This goes to periods that do not count but do not break service. 70.5C Roman numeral 7 says, any absence from work of a female award entitled employee for a period not exceeding 12 months in respect of any pregnancy, not covered by 70.5B uh, Roman numeral 1, 2, 6. So Tim, what work does that clause still have to do? It covers those who are pregnant but not eligible for parental leave. Okay, so it has a very limited application because given that there are changes to eligibility for parental leave, that will be necessarily a smaller group of people, but it does ensure that people who are in that category continue to not have their service broken as a result of pregnancy. Correct. Tim, one of the most frequent questions that we get is how to treat someone who has been both a casual and a permanent employee over their employment journey. That's right. The table has been updated and we hope is clearer for members now. So this is an existing situation that carries across from the 2016 agreement. And it's also worth addressing the taking of leave to explain uh, that the, the term is really now in a couple of components. So that's right. 70.7a is the term people are used to. Uh, clause 70.7c refers to taking long service leave before 10 years. So you can see it on the screen there, and what that says is long service leave in advance. If an award entitled employee has completed 10 years continuous service, the employer may, by agreement with the employee, grant long service leave in advance on a pro rata basis. And then secondly, it says supplementary to subclause 70.7c Roman numeral 1, 
If an award entitlement, if an award entitled employee requests to take long service leave on a pro rata basis under clause 70.4b, the employer must grant the employee's request to take long service leave as soon as practicable after receiving the request, unless the employer has reasonable business grounds for refusing that request. So that's a change we referred to earlier by which people can take long service leave with less than 10 years service with an eligibility date to seven years being phased in during the life of the agreement. Tim, I think that takes us to part three. This is the group whose entitlement is underpinned by the Long Service Leave Act. Uh, correct. And really what it does, it sets out those long service leave terms from the Act or gives the reference to the relevant section so that these terms can be applied. So I feel we've spent very little time on part three, but having said that, let's move on to part four anyway. <laughs> so this part covers the following, payment for period of leave, proof of sufficient aggregate of service, records, transfer of business, concurrent service and savings. Most of those are as people would expect, uh, but let's discuss concurrent service in greater detail. So firstly, it states that concurrent service with two separate employees remains concurrent and distinct. Obviously. The second scenario is where an employee changes employers, for example, as a part-time employee at both, but stays on the casual bank of the first employer. So this is a very common question. So the agreement clarifies that an employee can take their service from employer one to employer two, despite staying on the casual bank at employer one, if the employee hasn't got an entitlement under 70.4a. So that reference to 70.4a is uh, really about someone who isn't between 10 and 15 years worth of service. Yeah, the employee hasn't already taken or been paid the long service leave in respect of the relevant period. So that's, uh, there's an unresolved entitlement. And either the employee transfers their entitlement or the second employer confirms in writing to the first employer that the period of service has been recognised. And in those circumstances, the first employer is no longer liable for the transferred entitlement. Uh, but the employee doesn't need to re-qualify. That is, the entitlement is treated as though it has been taken, but the casual employment doesn't go back to day one, picks up from the point it was transferred. And Tim, other examples uh, contained within the agreement? There are a couple of examples, but we'll focus on one. So, in, so you can see on the screen here, um, it says an award entitlement employer has worked for employer A for six years. On the 1st of June 2021, the employee commences employment with employer B as an award entitled employee. To take up this opportunity, the employee ceases permanent employment with employer A. However, the employee commences a casual employment relationship with employer A within 12 weeks after resigning from their permanent position with employer A. So uh, the employee uh, firstly could transfer the six year service with employer A to employer B and will be eligible to take long service leave with employer B once sufficient continuous service has accrued. And that obviously takes into account the transferred service. And secondly, could take long service leave on a pro rata basis with employer A after sufficient continuous service had accrued. Says that no entitlement would arise in respect of the prior six years service that had been transferred to employer B. So it doesn't affect when they qualify, but it affects how much leave they have. That's right. Tim, thank you so much for taking us through the new long service leave term from the Nurses and Midwives Agreement. 
My pleasure. So we are mindful that uh, overhauling and cleaning up the long service low term uh, for this is something of a theme for this round of bargaining. Members can expect a podcast like this for each agreement. And we know that long service leave can be a challenging and indeed somewhat uh, psychedelic experience. So what better way uh, to finish this podcast than with the VHA theme music playing over some suitably psychedelic light, uh, lighting. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Joe.